Do you know how the menstrual cycle works? Do you know how different hormones affect your body and how you feel? Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashpitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Sahar Masudian joins me on the podcast today. Sahar is a strength and conditioning coach, and she has a master's in exercise physiology. And she helps us break down the menstrual cycle, why estrogen is a superpower. She talks about doing hard things, jujitsu, exercise, and also gives her experience on dating in the modern world. This episode is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products daily. So click the link in the show notes. Use code EVERYBODY at checkout for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 150 of Something for Everybody. Hello and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashpitz. Hey. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Should I introduce myself? Yes, you can. Absolutely, please. Um, hi, I'm Sahar Masudian. Um, I specialize in MMA strength and conditioning coaching um, and also um, looking at menstrual cycle for women and how that uh, corresponds with exercise. And I just, I love exercise. Um, that's pretty much my whole career and, you know, my personality, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this conversation's over. <laughs> yeah, that was Thanks for coming. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, but all of those, all of those topics are are what I wanted to talk to you about. Originally, I wanted to have you come over because I was going to try to do a dating roundtable because I did one with a couple of my guy friends. I did one with a couple of my girlfriends, and then I wanted to get everyone together to sort of mix up some feelings because I think the which we're going to get into because I know you have some thoughts and feelings on the topic, which is why I invited you on the current situation between men and women in the current dating market. Yes. It's like much different than I think it's ever been before. And I wanted to sort of have that conversation with everyone here, which I'm still trying to work on. Hopefully we can get it together, but it's like six people. There's a lot of moving parts, right. but anyways, you're the only one who still decided to show up, which is awesome because we've been training jujitsu together for a while now and we follow each other on social. Well, I don't know if I follow you, but I've seen your content. Thanks, man. Thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> um, and all the stuff you just mentioned, I want to I wanna get into uh, with you. So I'm very excited. But I have an important question to ask you yeah. before anything else. Yeah. How are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? How am I doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm yeah. doing really good. Yeah, I'm doing what I love, you know. Um, I'm taking a hiatus between, you know, school. So until things ramp up again for me in August, um, I'm just chilling. I'm having a great time. I'm training all the time. Uh, I'm getting to, you know, work on my social media outreach a little bit and coaching people. And yeah, I'm just living life. I'm, I'm doing really good. How are you doing? How am I doing? Hmm. Doing great. Yeah, I'm doing great. I've had, well, this week I was like sick for like 24 hours, but other than that, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, had a lot of good podcast conversations this week. Nice. 
Got to train jujitsu a couple times. Not as much as I'd like to do this week, but I aim for three times, three to five. Mm -hmm. This only week, I only got two because I can't go tomorrow. Um, we got a baseball tournament. We're in the midst of baseball season. Opening day started today. Nice. Uh, my girlfriend is out of town, so that's kind of sad. I haven't slept without her since she moved in. Well, I did a couple weekends ago when I was away for a baseball trip. But that's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, it's going to be weird tonight. So I'll have like a, I'll take one of her pillows and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be fine. You have to, you have to. I have to, I have to. Put all of her perfume, per, uh, perfume on it, you know? Mm. Yeah. She does sleep in one of my old baseball shirts every night. So maybe I'll just have to wear that. Yeah, yeah that's what you have to do. You yeah. have to. Um, but when I'm on the weekend in baseball, we'll be up and it'll be in a hotel. So it already feels weird to sleep in a hotel anyways. But yeah. anyways, thanks for asking. Normally, no one uh, normally usually returns the question. It's kind of sad. Well, <laughs> yes and no. I've, I figured they're coming onto a podcast to be interviewed, right? They don't think they feel like they can ask a question. I mean, but that's I, fair, but like. But I want to make it a conversation. I care. I care. You do. You know? Yeah. And we see each other pretty frequently. Yeah, we do. Yeah. But there's not a lot of time in jujitsu for uh, conversation. Unless let's you say. want to get yelled at. I've been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, you, you and Nancy are always chatting, yeah. and Ava. Yeah. Just over there having a great time. It's, it's a great time. It's a great time. It is. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. We're gonna by the end of this conversation, hopefully, we can uh, convince people to want to work out more and to train jujitsu. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so the best things in life for sure. I mean, like they make your life better. They really do. Like when did when did you start exercising and when did it become important to you? Ooh, that's a good question. Okay, so I was born with very minor cerebral palsy. Okay. So that affected my left foot mostly. I kind of grew out of the other symptoms as a kid, but um You grew out of them. I grew out of them. So I had really tight muscles all through my childhood. My mom said like I could barely raise my arms over my head to get my shirt on like as really? a child. Yeah, and then over time it, you know, what remained was just the left foot, my ankle, um, I guess, I don't know, the, I was kind of like on the tiptoes of my left foot. Um, and the heel never came down, had a surgery when I was nine, heel came down, I was mostly functional after that because before that I, I could walk but I would get really exhausted walking and as you can imagine running and stuff was really hard too. Um, but after the surgery, I was mostly functional, kind of had to build up fitness and endurance, basically was in physical therapy my whole life as a kid, wasn't really able to get into sports because of the limitations that I had, um, not just because of the foot, but the mobility, right? I had severely limited mobility, so I could, I could barely like move in the normal ways that people do. Um, but my parents are amazing. They tried to put me in like every sport. It mm. just never really ended up working because I could only do so much. Um, and so, you know, in and out of physical therapy, my entire childhood. And then ironically, this is ironic because of what happened later in my life. I hated exercise. Like I didn't want anything to do with it because I had like trauma from physical therapy as a child. Yeah. Put a, a poor taste in your mouth. Yes, exactly. Um, but I remember around second, third grade, I started becoming, so right after the surgery, I got more interested in wanting to be fit. And I was like, Oh, I don't like my sedentary lifestyle, the way I'm starting to look all that. So when I was in second grade, I got my first personal trainers. So no way. Eight years old. I was eight years old at the Plano uh, Rec Center uh, with a personal trainer. That lasted for a little bit. but um, This is something like you went to your parents and were like, yeah, hey, can I get a personal yeah, trainer? Yeah, I was like, I'm getting a little pudgy. Like, can we do something about it? <laughs> um, and so that happened for a short period of time. But nothing really happened after that until after my freshman year of high school. I tried rowing for one season. I wasn't a fan of putting boats on my shoulders. Like I was always bruised. It was really awful. <laughs> um, but I got into the weight room and I was like, this is kind of cool. 
And then through like social media and stuff, I started finding people I really liked that like the way they looked and you know, the things they did. And I started trying to figure out how to teach myself how to work out. So pretty much after my freshman year of high school, um, I wanted to start going to the gym and my issue was consistency as it is with most people, right? So I was like, okay, what can I do that'll help make me consistent and um, actually hold me accountable? And so I made a bargain with myself. I said, every day, every school day for the rest of this month, you have to, or for one full month, you have to go to the school gym after school and work out for at least 30 minutes. And I was like, after that month, cause I was like, I'm gonna try and build this habit, right? Habits take about a month to build. I said, after this month, if I hate it, I can walk away and find something different. Like right. do Zumba or something, I don't know. Sure. Um, and so every day at four o'clock when I got out of school, I would go to my school gym and I would do like the elliptical for 45 minutes. No, just like lift some random weights. Like I had no idea what I was doing, but that's kind of where that all started. And gradually I just, you know, dedicated myself to teaching myself more about it. And what I was really surprised about is that even though I started it more for aesthetic reasons, um, the real, you know, what, what kept me hooked was how strong I felt. And like for the first time, like in physically my life, or mentally, yes, physically and mentally, because for the first time in my life, I think my narrative that I'd always been given was like, oh, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And that's always how, you know, doctors, especially specialists, like to talk to you sometimes. It's like, you're an object, right? Like I was always objectified and told this is what you can't do, this is what you can't do. And for the first time in my life, I was like, wow, I'm getting much stronger. Like I can see this progress. And I started valuing my body for like what I can do and not what I can't do. You know what I mean? So that was like life changing to me. And it, it, I got addicted right off the bat. I remember like three weeks into my month, I was like, I noticed on weekends I was so cranky and I was like really pissy and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and then I realized just like, I'm not exercising. Mm. Like that's the one thing that's different. So wow. I literally got addicted. Um, and you know, I transitioned more into weight training from there and you know, I was choosing my major for school. Um, I thought, you know, I want, I thought I want to study physics cause I really love studying physics. physics. But, mm -hmm, I loved studying physics. But then I thought, I was like, but what do I want to do every day, right? I was like, what do I love doing every single day? It's one thing to study it. It's another thing to do it, right? And I was like, I love exercise. And my college counselor was like, well, have you heard of kinesiology? I was like, no, what's that? And she said, exercise science. And I was like, well, I love exercise and I love science, so why not? And um, I went into exercise science, kind of didn't know what I wanted to do with it. Um, found out I loved coaching people. Um, wanted to do a little bit more than personal training. That's when I decided I wanted to do strength and conditioning. So um, my last year, I graduated a little bit early. Um, I got my CSCS, so Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. Thought I wanted to work with pro or collegiate athletes. Um, then my last year, my undergrad got into jujitsu, and I was like, "This is really cool." And that was my first sport, my first official sport. I started competing and. Um, training really hard all the time and I absolutely loved it and I was like okay what sport am I going to do if I'm going to do this strength and conditioning thing my first thought was American football because I loved watching it and then I gave it a second thought and I was like is that really the best idea for me you know 5'2 woman like uh I don't know and you know with my love of jujitsu um combat sports seemed like the obvious answer and ever since then I've kind of been pursuing that path so I'm absolutely in love with it yeah because of all, I have some follow-up questions. Yeah, I'm ready. <clears throat> so when when doctors are telling you that you can't do this, can't do that, and you're a very young person at that time. I mean, you're still considerably a young person, but even more young then. Did you ever think to yourself like, oh, they're right? 
Yeah, every single time. I, I, I cried in every single doctor's appointment as a child. I was like five, four or five years old the first time I heard that I was never gonna be able to wear heels, you know? And like for me, like I was the kind of girly girl, I refused to wear pants as a child. Like that was me. I dresses, was like, skirts. Yes, I only wore dresses and skirts. Like I was like, like a Disney princess in my mm. head, right? Like that was just my personality. And so like hearing that, that was heartbreaking, man. Like that, that stuff sticks with you and like, that's pretty much all I heard my whole life. And um, it, it, I definitely believed it because these are the authorities, right? right? I'm a child. What do I know that these guys that, you know, and my parents tried to get me the best of the best doctors. These weren't like, you know, whoever was available. Right. So, yeah, it was super disheartening. Was there was there conversations with you and your parents like outside of those offices, like words of encouragement or maybe this can happen or this possibility or I mean, because obviously you oh. you 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 move through that yeah. and you learn that you can do something mm -hmm. much more than probably those people thought were capable. Mm -hmm. So what was that? Yeah, My parents were, they're like the most incredible parents I could ask for. Like genuinely, I'm the most blessed person on earth to have them as my parents. They were so encouraging. Um, in fact, they didn't even, you know, they didn't even want to get me a handicapped parking tag anymore. They're like, we don't want to put that label on you. You know what I mean? They were super encouraging. Like I said, they tried to get me involved in anything physically and their belief was, you know, if you set your mind to it, you can do it. And right. that was my belief as a kid. Um, I remember trying to teach myself how to hula hoop and jump rope and things like that as a kid. And they never once were like, oh, well, you know, the doctor said blah, 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 blah. Um, they really just tried to, you know, keep that in mind when they, you know, talk to me about, you know, exercise and, you know, the doctor said, you know, you got to wear your foot shoe braces or else you might not be able to walk when you're older, things like that. Just, mm. you know, reminders just to be careful, really. Right. But besides that, they were as encouraging as they could be. I'm so lucky to have parents like that, but they were incredible. Yeah. They did everything mm. they could for me. Mm. I, yeah, that, that resonates a lot with me because I feel the same way about my parents. Mm. Just like, because you, you look at a lot of people in today's, especially today's society where there's just a lot of single parents, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of like dysfunctional homes. And it's like already hard enough to be a parent when you have two people trying to do the job to raise a kid, which is really, it's like the hardest freaking job in the whole world, yeah. right? And no matter what happens, your kid is gonna come away with some sort of scars. Mm -hmm. It's just whether or not those scars are big to potentially have them be traumatized or how they're gonna pass it on or what they're gonna take into their relationships, whatever, all that stuff is gonna happen. Mm -hmm. But like then to think like, wow, I got these parents, like, or you got your parents. Mm -hmm. It's like, holy shit, I could have gotten any set of parents or circumstances yeah. in the whole world, yeah. you know? And so then it's, it makes me feel like a bunch of different ways. One, it makes me feel super blessed and lucky and grateful. But then, you know, there's also a set of like guilt, like, you know, why me? Yeah, totally. Like what, you know, yeah. why am I so special? Yeah. And there's like that toggling feeling, but I think that's an important feeling to have because that like one, it keeps me grounded. It keeps mm -hmm. me humble. Mm -hmm. Not like, oh, I'm the fucking specialist, most special person <laughs> yeah. ever that I deserve. Like I should have that energy sometimes because right. I am, I am incredibly special person as are you. And we deserve to have the best. We deserve love. We deserve that sort of atmosphere. Yeah. But we also have to recognize that some people don't get that. And how can we, how can we sort of build them up and bring them in and encourage them and, and see that probably every parent, single or combined parent did the absolute best they could in the yes. situation they had. And, you know, maybe it just wasn't whatever it was. I don't want to say good enough because it sounds like 
they purposely did a bad job and that's obviously not true. So, and yeah, you meet friends, right? Who didn't have the same situation as you did and they react certain ways in different kinds of atmospheres and they're sort of afraid to do stuff or they weren't given permission to go after what they want. So they're sort of afraid to like say they want this or need this or they love this. And it's like, it's very intense and it, and it creates a lot of things, but people can overcome that stuff. It's hard, obviously. Yes. But really hard. Yeah, I just thought I'd say that. Yeah, totally. I think that's such a good point. I don't think a lot of people think about, you know, how lucky they are to have really great parents when they do. And I think that's such a good point that you brought up. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And because of my parents, it's interesting, right? Because they, they lost a child. Mm. You know, my sister passed away in 2018. Mm. You know, and anytime parents lose a child, they immediately think that they're the worst parents that have ever existed on, right. they on earth. It. Yeah. Right. Cause it's their fault. No, no, um, you know, parents should ever have to bear their child. Like it shouldn't, like it's the fucking worst thing in the whole entire world. Right. And then when it does happen, it's like, well, I obviously did all the wrong stuff and didn't do anything right over the years that she was alive. And it's like, I, no, you didn't. You're still the best. Yeah. You did the best you could and you did everything you could. And trying to relay that to them is hard, but you know, we're, we're, we're doing it together over the last four years. And I say this a lot on this podcast, but having my girlfriend re come into our lives has been such a light and a joy because it gives my parents something to look forward to, right? Yeah. Like, oh, what if they get married? Ooh, what if they have kids? Yeah. Ooh, we'll actually be a part of something and we can do something together. We have something to look forward to, you know? And I, sometimes I feel like I'm putting too much pressure on re because <laughs> she has to be this, she is this thing, right. but you know, it's just, it's part of our family. It's our dynamic. It's what it's always going to be. Yeah. So I say all that to really say that there's, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's, you know, I don't like, I don't really love the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. But if you work hard enough and you put in sort of the patience and the effort and the time, you can, you can sort of come up with a reason that's worth living for. Yeah. Not sort of like this random spiritual thing that's going to like drop in your lap and it's going to be like, yep, that's it. Here it is. It's, no, it's like you have to, you have to sort of cultivate it through living your life still and choosing to get up every day. Yeah. And so to any of those parents who may be in a similar situation or they're just or just struggling or feel like they're not doing the best they can, you are. Yeah. And if you're not doing the best you can actually, then you got to figure that out too. <laughs> then you got to step up to the plate yeah. and figure out why you're not doing the best you can. Do you have to tweak this, tweak that? Do you have to take some time for yourself? Do you have to start doing exercise and jujitsu so you can cultivate the best version of yourself and, and give that to your kid and all that stuff? You know, cause I also, I'm talking a lot, but I also think about a lot as a coach and I'm sure you do too, yeah. you know, because it's a, it's an honor and a responsibility to have someone trust you with whatever they're trusting you with, right. you know, their exercise yeah. as with an MMA fighter. It's like their whole life is on the line every time they step into the cage. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What are your feelings on, on sort on that? Yeah. I think about that a lot. I think with pro athletes, that's kind of the difference. Cause I, I mean, I wouldn't even say that because the thing is with a general person too, you know, they're coming to you, they trust you and they're putting, they're putting that responsibility in your hands. And the thing about exercise, it's inherently dangerous, right? My parents love to tell me like, you have such a good brain. Why do you do jujitsu? Like you could get hurt. And I'm like, that's hilarious. But like, honestly, the risk of any physical activity is serious injury, you know? And yeah. so if you're not careful as a coach, and that's what scares me a lot these days about um, the fact that you can get a, you know, personal training certification and two months from reading a book and go train people. 
um, is it's a serious risk. Mm -hmm. Exercise is a serious risk, no matter how you look at it. And so I think about that every time I'm programming, whether it's for an athlete or for um, one of my gen pop um, clients, because it's just such a valuable thing that they're putting in your hands, right? This person could easily go online and like, like YouTube a few exercises and put something together and hope for the best. But they came to me and said, you know, I'm trusting you with my outcomes. So here you go. And then it's my responsibility to, you know, um, help to make that happen. I think what's really cool with athletes specifically in uh, MMA, you know, Jiu Jitsu and Muay Thai, you actually get to see the first of your labor in a different way. You know, with, with Gen Pop, a lot of it is about aesthetics or about health, which is cool. But, you know, at the end of the day, like that, that's a, that's a normal part of everyday life with these athletes, you know, like you said, that's their career, that's mm -hmm. their whole life. And so it's really cool when you get to program for an athlete and then see them go out and perform the best they absolutely can and, you know, come back to you and say, wow, I really felt the difference, um, you know, from this exercise that we've been doing, or I really felt the transfer from this. That's like the most fulfilling feeling to me because it means that I really get to do what I love and it, it's actually helping, you know, somebody's career. It's, it, you know, them helping my career is furthering their career. And I think that's such a cool relationship to have. Um, and that coaching relationship, it's, it's really unlike anything I've ever experienced. I'm sure you can speak to that with your kids though. Um, I'm sure it's a little bit different because they're, you know, younger, so you're kind yeah. of a mentor as well, right? Yeah, it's so, it's so interesting to see how, um, how much they actually watch what you do, mm. you know, yeah. like 12, 13, 14 year old kids. That's like the age that I've coached. They, they listen to the words. They try to, right? <laughs> but they mostly see how I act, how I treat people, how I respond to when things go wrong, potentially. Do I throw my clipboard? Do I slam dirt? Do I throw my hat? Do I yell? Okay, if I do or if I don't, that's how they're gonna react after something goes wrong as well. Mm -hmm. So why am I getting mad at them for throwing their helmet into the dugout when I threw my clipboard on the ground? They're just watching who they believe to be their mentor do the same thing. Right. Now their mom tells them to go do the laundry, they don't want to, and they're screaming at mom. Why are they screaming at mom? This has nothing to do with baseball. Well, they, they watch someone they, they love and look up to scream at them when they didn't want to do something. Yeah. All of these things uh, have an impact on, on these kids. That's why social media can be so great and so not great at the same time. Depends on who they're watching, who they're consuming, and how much they're consuming. But if you're a coach or a person who's around young people, we're not gonna be perfect, of course not. That's never a goal. But we can do our best to try and line up our words with our actions, like the best we can. And if we can't do that, then we need to not be around young kids because then we're just reinforcing that we can say whatever we want and not have any accountability for what that is. That's what social media is. That's what it's perpetuating is. You can have all sorts of opinions and your uh, success is, or your word is based on opinions, not on fact, not on action. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's not good for anyone. So yeah, I take a deep responsibility in coaching these young kids and it's not like a, a money making full time. It's like, I just do it because it's like, I want to do it. And I want to spend this weekend in Houston, like 15 hours with them on the field, you know, like figuring it out. Things are going to go wrong. They're not going to do great. They're going to do great. We're going to play a great team. We're going to play a like all these things could potentially happen. How do we respond? Great. Now they get into a real life situation and their girlfriend breaks up with them for the first time. 
okay, it's not a baseball game, but they can be like, all right, well, I know how to respond when bad things happen. Take a deep breath, I step back, I think about the situation. Okay, then we go forward. Now, if we, you know, that's why I think sports are so important because they're a real life application to all of these things. They're, you know, not all, none of, I don't know how many of these kids are gonna play professional baseball, right? If any of them, but hopefully they play long enough where they get to learn the lessons that are applicable to their real life. Mm-hmm. You know, like you learned by just the situation that you were put in. Mm-hmm. Like the situation I'm in is not the situation I have to be in forever. Like what a valuable lesson to learn. Yeah. But you have to go through the trenches for that shit. Like you have to fucking go through the trenches yeah. like you did, you know, but it's turned out that you have this sort of mindset that you have because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows if probably would have turned out this way if you didn't go through that, something else probably would have happened because life just hits you like that. But, you know, this is where we're at. Yeah. And most kids nowadays are quitting youth sports by age 11. Wow, really? 11. So they're not even playing through high school anymore. Mm-hmm. What? Nope. Why? Do you know why? It's for it's for a multitude of reasons, but mostly it's because the car ride home sucks. Yeah. The car ride home sucks, and most kids would rather be like the. Uh, there was a study done that asked what um, American youth want to be when they grow up, and the answer was influencer. Not I wanted to be a major league baseball player. I wanted to be an astronaut. Like it's influencer. That's the answer. That's complete, like, whoa. Because I was really the first generation that, like, had social media in my, like, like right before I was a teen, you know? And even, like, we don't think like that, you mm-hmm. know? And then this newer generation is just completely different. It's it's putting in the work, or it's, it's getting all of the success without having to put in any of the work. Yeah, and they don't understand that influencing actually takes a like a lot of work to like get there. Like even from my little, my little excursions on social media, yeah. stuff, I'm like, man, this is a lot of work. Like taking videos and editing mm-hmm. videos and they just make it seem so effortless. I can understand why kids are like, yeah, why would I go to school? Why would I, you know, go to a vocational school? Why would I do anything when I can just, you know, post videos and have one viral video and become a millionaire? And you there know? you go. Every brand in the whole world is going to yeah. hit me up and I can do this and I can do that. Exactly. Yeah, but if like, if you aim to become an expert in one topic and then want to speak about that, that's awesome. But you have to actively put in the work to become an expert in that field. And then you can talk about it anytime you want. But there there has to be some serious effort involved in anything that you do to make it something that's worthwhile. And so, yeah, we have to, not have to, but I think it's important that we encourage kids to play sports. You know, also, there's a concern about the sedentary behavior with that, yeah. right? Like, because as is, what's the, what's the stat? It's like by 20, 2050, like half of the U.S. is going to be overweight or something mm-hmm. like that. Is yep. that already? Or obese? I, I don't know the exact, uh, the exact statistic, but like we're well on our way. And, you know, at least what we used to have, you know, when I was in high school, like I feel like a grandma back in my day, um, <laughs> kids, you know, they went through high school at least with at least one sport and yeah. three, you know right. what I mean? And then they'd get to college and then they'd have to figure out how to work out on their own and all that. And I think that's where I had a slight advantage as all my friends came to me. They're like, how do you work out? Like I've been playing sports my whole life. But I don't know how to work out. But now it's like, if they're not doing that from 11, what kind of habits are they building now at home? You know, if they're not doing sports, what are they doing? Going home and doing nothing, There's like scrolling TikTok, like, 
Yeah. That's terrifying. There's no free play. There's no creativity. Yeah. There's no going outside with our friends and just saying, hey, you have, you have three hours. Go do whatever. You know? I'm scared. It's tough. I'm scared. Like, I'm scared to be a parent for that reason, too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, what do you, how do you prevent your kid from becoming an iPad baby? When I've heard stories of, like, parents who did keep their kids off of technology, they go to school and they don't know how to use a computer. And now they're behind because they don't know how to use a computer. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what do you do, you know? There's, yeah. I, There's so many burning questions. It's tough. You just you sort of just got to pick one and say, this is what I believe. And hopefully it works out for the best. It works out for the like best. we were talking about at the beginning, do, right? right? Yeah, that's like, all you can do is be the best parent you can. If you're a parent, you're making the best choice you possibly can make. Right. Um, but back to coaching. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you think the coaching part, I think with pro athletes, is specifically about the results because... Mm-hmm. They're geared towards that. Yes. They're not. They're not super worried about the relationship piece. Yes. Sure. They they want to not hate you, but they they mostly care about if you're going to get the results in for them. You know, I've actually had the opposite experience. Really? Um, at, when I was in Florida, I got to intern at um, the Drew Strong Performance Gym. Um, Phil Drew is an incredible strength and conditioning coach. Um, he's worked with. He works with Poirier and. Um, has worked with a lot of the big names um, in Florida. And uh, my experience there was absolutely incredible. I got to work with, uh, I got to kind of take over the off-camp athletes. Yeah. So I got the off-camp fighters. And I, you know, they became like my little family. Like, Mm. we all look forward to seeing each other. And, you know, we we always had this, like, you know, we were teasing each other the whole time. I was giving them shit. They gave me shit. Like, it was just such a fun relationship to have. And all my coaching experiences have been like that. Like, really building that... Um, relationship that's the interesting thing is like I think um, strength and conditioning coaching and personal training have a lot in common with that you'd be surprised how far you can get just by building a personal relationship uh, especially with something like strength training because you know you have to spot your athletes you they have right. to trust you mm. they have to trust you you're, you're monitoring their form you're making sure that they're not getting hurt and so having that kind of like friendship relationship with them it makes all the difference because not just for you but for them you know it, it gives you something to look forward to it's not just like a robotic like do this do that do that and actually, I will say, I think that's one of the advantages to coaching like individual combat sport athletes instead of like a team sport. Because I've heard a lot of, I remember in undergrad, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, pe- like speakers we'd have come and talk to us. A lot of them did like pro or collegiate um, strength and conditioning, but because it was a team sport, it was very like systematic. It was always the same. You know, they have an on season, they have an off season. It's very clear cut, straightforward. I don't know if you remember from, you know, your college experience, but like most of them got bored. Honestly, everyone was like, yeah, I went into personal training because strength and conditioning was boring. And the beautiful thing about combat sports is like you're working with individual athletes and all their needs are so different, especially with MMA. You know, MMA, you're combining like four or five, six sports into one. And so you have to think about, you constantly have to sit here and you're figuring out this puzzle of how do I fit in all the work that this athlete needs to do in this short period of time? How do I prep them for a fight? Maybe it's on short notice. Maybe you have eight weeks out. Maybe you have 16 weeks out. Maybe you don't even see them for the entire off season. You know, Hmm. maybe they only come to you during off season. Like, what are you going to do with your athlete? And so in that sense, it's kind of like working through a puzzle. And that's what I love so much about it. I get to sit down and program and be like, okay, here's my calendar. We're this many weeks out. We need to get this, this, and this done. That means we need to ramp up here and here and here. And it's just like this puzzle that I'm putting together. Um, So I think in that sense, just because, you know, even if I'm doing a group type of coaching situation, I still have this like one-on-one 
relationship with the athlete that I think is so special. Mm. And that's part of why I chose not to continue in academia after my master's. Um, you know, I really gave thought again to that concept of what I want to do every day. And my favorite part of doing my thesis was talking to my study participants, you know, and interacting with them. And um, during my master's, I TA'd a class for personal training. And I loved, you know, interacting with my students and um, teaching them how to coach people. And that's why I really decided, like, that's going to be my focus. And so now I'm going to physical therapy school so I can kind of combine that with strength and conditioning. So I can always continue working with athletes and really being able to build that one-on-one relationship. Mm. So I'd say that's actually one of my favorite parts of coaching. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where, yeah, where I was going was like in personal training, I think it's all relationship building. Mm-hmm. But I... You're kind of their therapist in a way. Yeah. A lot of yeah. times. Yeah. Well, you... Yeah, you're, you're, I mean, you're, you're not going to get someone to be motivated and hold themselves accountable if one, you haven't created a good relationship or you haven't dug enough deep into the layer where, why they're working out. Right. It's not just like, I want to drop 25 pounds. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, sure. Mm -hmm. But what? And once you get there, you've built a relationship. Now that person understands what they're aiming at. You're holding them accountable. So that relationship is super important. But with the pro athlete, they, they know their why. They have their motivation. But I guess the relationship you're building is that I you have you trust me in this and I know what I'm talking about. And if you stick to our program that I've spent hours on figuring out, like you're gonna get better at your deficiencies. I'm gonna make you stronger in these areas, we're gonna make you faster, better, everything is gonna be improved because of this thing that I'm doing. So our relationship is important in that in that regard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And the other thing about that I should add, um, you know, a lot of these old school combat sports uh, coaches, you know, especially in wrestling, jujitsu, um, MMA is a little bit newer, but they don't believe in strength and conditioning, mm. right? Especially when you consider like MMA has, like I said, like three to six sports included in it, right? Imagine how many training sessions these athletes are doing every day. Yeah. And then to convince them like, hey, you should pay me money to come, you know, work on the stuff you're not good at. Oh, is it going to, you know, directly improve my takedowns? Well, no, no not like, you're, you know, you're not going to drill takedowns, but we're going to be, you know, doing all these things that are going to help you be so much more effective and efficient in doing that. It's kind of a hard bargain to make, especially when a lot of these, you know, we know pro MMA, you know, they're not paid nearly as much as they should be. Right. Uh, that's another conversation for another time, maybe. But, um, but Down to. you know, yeah, maybe now, who knows? But, um, but, you know, that's. In and of itself, I think that's an important place for a relationship within that coaching situation that I think is just unique to that sport. You know, with your your average ball sport, I think it's pretty well established mm-hmm. that we need strength and conditioning. Right. For some reason, it just has not transferred over to um, combat sports yet. So Yeah, it's so interesting right yeah. because the injury prevention is like paramount. Like if my nip, my knees, my hips, my glutes, my ankles my shoulders, my rotator cuffs, if they're all stronger, I'm better. I'm better off. Exactly. And that's kind of where my idea of like rehab and strength and conditioning came in. Cause I was like, okay, if we can't convince these people that they need strength and conditioning just for injury prevention alone, maybe like the injury will provoke them to get into, you know, working on themselves to, to improve the places where they need to so that this doesn't happen again. So, yeah. But but I understand like if you're a, if you're like an up and coming MMA fighter, 
and you only have a certain amount of funds to be allocated to a certain amount of things, mm -hmm. you're gonna do it to the things that you deem matter the most, which totally. is like working on your kicking, your punching, your takedowns, your jujitsu, the stuff that's like happening inside the ring. Right. Now, do I have an extra $400 a week to pay for a strength conditioning coach? No, because I need to eat properly. Exactly. I need to be able to sleep. I need to have my recovery protocols. So I, I understand all that. I've been, yeah. a, I've been a struggling, you know, whatever you want to call it, like professional wrestler. Right. Like when I was making $5 a show, oh my God. <laughs> you know, trying to get from city to city, figuring yeah. out how to eat okay yeah. so I could perform and look aesthetically it's pleasing. It's minimum at that point. You yeah. know, like how do I get a hotel room? Do I just sleep in my car? Yeah. Um, okay, I have my own sheets. I have a pillow. I'll probably get a better night's sleep here. Okay, I can get some ramen. I can cook it at the gas station. Like how do you figure all of this out? Okay, now I have a Planet Fitness <clears throat> membership. That's $10 a month, which means I can work out all across the country. Right. Okay, I still can get my workout in so I can have a pump for the show. It's like, you, you just figure it out. Yeah. And then as you sort of climb up, you're like, okay, what do I need differently? Okay, now I can sell some merchandise because I can have some inventory. Ooh, now I can eat a little bit better. I can get a meal plan. Mm -hmm. I can figure out what I want to bring on the road. Oh, I can get a cooler so I can bring my stuff on the road with me. Mm -hmm. And then, so it's probably the same way for the MMA fighter. Okay, I've won a couple fights. I'm moving up in the ranks. Okay, if I'm moving up in the ranks, that means I'm getting fighting better fighters. How do I elevate my game? Okay, I need a strength and conditioning coach because right, right. my knees are weak and my punches can be a little stronger and my hips are a little tight, so I'm not getting enough rotation or whatever the case may be yeah. is. But yeah, yeah. Totally. so I think it's very interesting. Yeah, and that's really the struggle of it. You know, it's like I, I don't fault anybody for that either because what are you going to do? You know, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, at the same time, it's like, please, if the sooner we start, the better. You right. know what I mean? And that's what I'm really hoping. I that's that's why it's like my mission now. Is like I want to be able to make this accessible. You know, I know a lot don't have insurance or whatever, but even if you do, you know, maybe you can at least get in the door. We can work on some things and work our way up. So that's really my hope. I really hope that I can like help the community out in that way because it breaks my heart to see so many fighters who just are not physically prepared. Either physically prepared in some ways, but not in others. And that should be, that shouldn't be a decision that they have to make, you know, so. Yeah. Do you, do you think, um they these fighters trust you more because you're in the trenches doing jujitsu yes and no like in a way maybe but at the same time they're like oh it's just jujitsu it's, it's, <laughs> it's very different than, than striking and i understand that you know but i think um i think and honestly my my take is that any coach should understand the sport of their athlete you know mm. what i mean and that's usually what you see with strength and conditioning coaches that's part of the reason why i gave up on my dream of coaching american football players um is like i've not <laughs> had any experience in football you know i yeah. watch it for hours but um and and i will say that's maybe easier to understand the biomechanics of it because it's pretty um it, it's more straightforward and it's something that you can watch and analyze but i think combat sports are very unique in that very few uh, practitioners actually understand what's happening in the octagon you know what i mean um and having at least half of that and being able to understand the rest of it and you know talk it, a lot of it is also communication i can easily talk to my fighters and be like hey what does this feel like or can you modify this exercise to make it feel more like this kind of kick or i can have conversations like that so that we work together to develop what's best for them you know um, but I think it does give me a little bit of credibility in that, like, I kind of know what you're going through. Like, right. I don't really know what you're going through, but, but like, a little bit, a little bit of it, right? An important piece of it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah, me too. <clears throat> what has uh, jujitsu um, taught you about life? How's it made your life better? <laughs> that's a loaded question. Great. Um, I think one really, okay, so, so I should start at the beginning. So jujitsu, like you said, was my first sport. 
I never played a, I never participated consistently in a sport before that. I never competed in a sport before jujitsu. And the reason I actually got to starting, got around to starting jujitsu is because it was really weird. It was like one summer, like six people in my life were all of a sudden talking about jujitsu, like close people in my life. And I'd like never really heard of it before. Then I was like, that's kind of weird. And then, um, at the gym I used to train at, uh, the lifting gym I used to train at right next to it, there was a ATT that opened up American top team Dallas. Um, this was in 2019. And so everyone was like, oh, you should try, you should try. I was like, you know what, maybe. So I went back to school and I decided to try it. I looked into it. I was like, oh, this is all on the ground. And I was like, that's perfect for me because I don't have very good balance because of my left, or on my left foot, I don't have good balance because of everything that's happened. I'm on only on the outside of my foot, whatever. So I can't, stand-up sports are really hard for me. So I was like, this is perfect. We're rolling around on the ground. Like, I can do that. Of course, I know now that jujitsu requires a lot of mobility. Right. I didn't really know that going in and it was something I figured out as I went along. So I got hooked, right? I got hooked. I went to my first competition. It was like a little collegiate club competition. Uh, we went to San Antonio, I think. And this is when I was training at UT Jiu Jitsu. And um, I was like, this is great. I was two months in. I really thought I was the shit. Like I was like, this is great. I'm going to do so well. Like I'm just going to wipe the floor with this girl. I got Americana in like a minute. Oh. It was it was really rough. Um, it was not what I was expecting. <laughs> I made the mistake to never get stuck in that position again. Um, but it was really disheartening because I I think what I had subconsciously built for myself was like this is my chance to prove to myself. You know mm. what I mean? This is my chance to prove to myself that I can be just as good as anybody else. And it was a very subconscious thing. It was very very like under the surface. And back then I wasn't very much into um you know self-development or whatever you would call that you know i wasn't very self-aware at the time um and it took years of competing not years two years two two and a half years probably um of competing you know did well in you know one tournament sucked at the rest of them jujitsu you know how jujitsu is jujitsu for anybody who doesn't do it it's it's like this yeah one day you're on top of the world the next day you're like why do i do this <laughs> and every day you say why do i go in to get my ass beat and you keep going back for mm -hmm. some reason um and so you know countless tears and two years later i was having a conversation with our professor ricardo at Royal Art, and this was, I think, before I moved to Dallas, and I had just competed in the IBJJF Dallas Open. This was March of last year, so this was last year before I moved here. Um, and you know, I was talking to him about how disheartened I was, and he asked a question. He's like, "Why do you do this? You know, like why why are you competing?" And I really thought about it, and I that was the first time I realized, you know, I'm doing this to prove to myself that I'm just as good as everybody else. I wanted to be world champion. I wanted to be like a professional. Like I was, I had that, like, not that I was only training jujitsu and nothing else because I was in school, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this everything I got and mm. hope it works out. And it was really in that moment where I realized this isn't coming from a place of, um, of like, I'm doing this because I love this more than anything because I did love jujitsu. But it got to the point after that first competition, um, or that was my second blue belt competition, and I was a fresh blue belt where I realized this is making me hate jujitsu. Mm. Like I really 
I didn't want to do it anymore. And after studying sports psychology and, you know, being like mentally ready, not being physically ready was the most detrimental thing I ever did to myself competing when I wasn't physically ready because I was like, okay, my mind is right. So like what my jujitsu just sucks. Like I'm just a shitty jujitsu player. And that made me not want to train for two weeks until I came back to roller. I had this conversation with Ricardo and it really made me understand like, you know, why am I doing this? And so to me, it was weird because I always saw it as a step forward. You know, I always saw jujitsu as like, this is my way to overcome um, this condition that I have. And that conversation really just opened my eyes to, you know, not everything has to be me proving myself. Right. And maybe I'm trying a little bit too hard to heal these wounds that I have by, you know, plastering over them mm. instead of actually healing them. Um, and so I really owe all of that knowledge of, you know, what's really going on in my head to jujitsu because of that, because it really made me face that in a way that I didn't think it would, um, where it ended up being less of the, you know, the story you see in movies and more of like something that, um, even though I physically took a step back, I mentally took a step forward. Mm. And ever since then, I've been training for fun. I've been training to have fun and I've been enjoying it more than anything. I've been learning more than ever. Um, and I do want to compete again for sure. I'm definitely going to compete again, but I'm not afraid of getting my ass kicked anymore. And I'm doing it because I know that it's something that I love doing. I do it for myself now, not, not to prove anything to anybody else or to myself even. So, hmm. yeah. Wow. Incredibly powerful. Yeah. How has that knowledge of yourself translated into other areas of your life? If it um, has relationship wise or other things that you want to go after and I'm a very type A person. I'm a very like high overachiever and I definitely burnt myself out with my masters. Um, and you know, that seems to, I noticed that that was a pattern with me. And that's something that I noticed with this whole jujitsu situation, just the burnout of it. And like realizing that my place is not to constantly push myself all the time, you know, that, that desire to prove myself, it wasn't just in jujitsu, it was in everything. Mm. And um, mostly stemming from a comparison issue. You know what I mean? Insecurities in comparison. And so I think now, whenever I think about something that I want to pursue or something that I want to accomplish, it becomes a lot more a question of, am I doing this for the right reasons? You know, am I doing this because I want to prove myself wrong? Am I doing this to, you know, to, you know, show so-and-so that I can do whatever? Or am I truly doing it because it's going to be good for me, you know, in whatever way, whether it's financially, physically, mentally, spiritually. Um, and, and that perspective changes everything because mm -hmm. you really start doing things to improve your life instead of just to, you know, for some arbitrary reason you came up with in your head that literally nobody cares about. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it allows you to become the architect of your own life exactly. instead of allowing other people to design your life based on what you think they're thinking about you. Yes. And that's even complicated to like say out loud. Mm -hmm. Imagine having your brain trying to compute all of those things and then trying to go out and do it, especially if it's something hard. Your 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 body is not fully in line with that because it's not doing it for for whatever sort of reason is is um, what's actually meaningful to you. So, yeah. man, learning that lesson is powerful. So you, I mean, you, you are the active participant and the creator of your own life. Yeah. I try to be as much as I can, whenever I can bring that to my forethought, you know. Amazing. Easier said than done, but. Of course. It's so worth it. Of course. But at least, at least having that knowledge that it is possible and true can, can help even when sometimes we're like looking at social media or looking at someone's life and being like, mm, I could do that, or maybe mm -hmm. I should do that. And like, mm -hmm. 
in the back of your mind, you've already you've already fought the battle of knowing that you can be the architect of your own life. So you can you can fight it again. But, exactly. you know, like comparing ourselves to others is not if if like we're comparing ourselves to others and it's like weighing us down and making us feel like shit and not motivating us to do anything. But sometimes we need that little kick. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Especially if it's from people that we know. Yes. I mean, it could, right. We don't know most of the people on social that we follow, but sometimes we need that. Like, oh, okay, there's that motivation I need. Yes. Right. And so, you know, I'm sure you follow Jocko, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He's, I, I'm not comparing myself to him or his jujitsu, but the way he runs his businesses, the way he's cultivated himself, his leadership company, right? The way he talks, like I can, I want to compare myself to that in a way that it's going to make me get better. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because it made me think of um, that saying that you are the um, the average of the five closest people to you, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's the dichotomy between the in-person relationships and the social media. Yeah. Because social media can give you, you know, paralysis because you just look at look at these people. You're like, oh my God, they're so far ahead of where I am. And of course, you only see the highlight reels. Um, and, you know, that's one of the reasons I've been trying to stay off of social media. Every time I do, I feel better. I know that for a fact. Mm. Um, in the midst of all the TikTok drama, I'm like, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what's better. I mean, that's a different issue, probably more political than anything. But like, <laughs> yeah. You know, in terms of well-being, um, is social media a great idea? It certainly can be, like you said, if you, you know, have the right mindset going forward. But, you know, with people that you're surrounded by, it's kind of a different effect, isn't it? Right? Like you see people that you actually relate to and you under, you know more about their life. Mm-hmm. And that can positively influence you, give you that little kick in the butt and be like, okay, like... You know, look at the people around me, look at everything they're doing. And I'm, you know, sitting at home watching TV all day. Maybe I should go do something, you know. Um, I just thought that that was interesting. Just Absolutely. Mind, yeah. The five people you surround yourself with, the five podcasts you listen to most yes. often, like that stuff is important, right? It's not only the consumption of like your food, but it's the consumption of like knowledge and ideas and insights and mindset and like what sort of stuff are you consuming in that domain, Cause that's going to either tell you that you can do it or you can't do it. Totally. And that's, that's powerful stuff. But yeah. anything else that you want to touch on about jujitsu? Jujitsu is great. Everyone should do it. It's terrible for your body, but would you agree? How do you feel about that? <sighs> that is terrible for your body. How does your body feel? I feel better than I've ever felt before. Are you for real? Yeah. Maybe it's just cause like I still have limited mobility, but like I'm constantly in pain. Well, I spent six years falling down. Um, and if you're not wrestling in sort of these really big companies, the, the rings we wrestle in are, are not nice. Mm. So it's like, you know, you have the four beams, right? Sort of like a boxing ring. Mm. Then you have 16 poles that go across and then on top you just have wooden boards. So it's wood, there's wooden boards. And then on top of the wooden boards, it's supposed to be a nice mat, similar to like a, a gymnastics mat. Um, similar to a jiu-jitsu mat, or if you fall on your back, it doesn't hurt that bad, yeah. but it still stings. A lot of the time, it was just carpet. So carpet over a piece of, over wood is not, that's nothing. It's like no. falling on the ground. No. So a lot of these shows that just don't have the budget or didn't care about their wrestlers enough to get a good ring, that's what we're falling on. And we're doing a, a fall break. That's how you, it's called a bump in professional wrestling. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fall break. It's the same thing. Um, so you're doing that, you know, however many times a match, four nights a week. Oh, God. And uh, sometimes you're getting, sometimes there's weapon involved, there's steel chairs, and all that stuff is real. And um, you just get hit in certain places where it's not making permanent damage. Oh, but God. you just have sort of reoccurring trauma and car crashes on your body over and over and over and over and over again. 
And what did you do to combat that? I mean, I did a lot of stuff. Like I was, I, I mean, I did mobility and stretching and yoga and ice baths and saunas. I mean, I knew how to take care of myself, but you can only do it to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, so then like COVID happened and I was able to sort of get my body back. Mm -hmm. And then I was only wrestling like once, maybe a weekend at the tail end of my career. So I was able to do that. And then I sort of changed my workout structure a little bit. And then I started doing Krav and then I started doing jujitsu. And so it's just like, that's helped me like loosen up a bit. Yeah. You know, my neck is a little tight because sometimes we get caught in some things and yeah. I try to get out of it, but when I should just tap, but uh, other than that, I feel great. Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. Um, but it's only because I've felt way worse before. So maybe that's I, fair. in comparison, I still don't feel great. But I don't know. A lot of people are like, oh, you should feel great. You're 24. And I'm like, yeah, but were you, like a lot of people saying that weren't doing jujitsu when they were 24. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I feel just as awful as you do. Like, because we're doing the same thing. That plus the limited mobility. But, you know, it's... Um, I, it's one of those things that like, I don't know if you can speak to this too. Like you really don't know why you keep doing it. Like, you know, but it's like, if you just told somebody on the street, they'd be like, why would I, you know, voluntarily get hurt by other people? Like just to, you know, learn something. But it's truly like, to me, it's been the most, I didn't even talk about this, but the ego aspect of mm. it. Oh my God. Yeah. You can't have ego in jujitsu. There's no such thing. No. You will, you will cry right there on the mat if you walk in with your ego. And that's honestly one of the beautiful things about being like a small female in jujitsu is like, if you have any ego that you're holding on to at all, psh, you're walking out that door tomorrow because, um, you're not going to get anything out of it. And, and it's, that's been the best lesson. And I always tell people like, I think jujitsu is one of the hardest things I've done, including like my master's degree. Like I don't, uh, it's cause it's something you have to show up for every day voluntarily. Like you are paying a gym money to to do something that, you know, it sucks in the moment, but man, those those little wins you get along the journey, they're priceless. They're mm -hmm. priceless. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's the best simulated struggle that you can produce in your life that'll make every other area of your life easier to handle. That's a great way to put it. That's it. I That's agree with that. Like, that's what it is. And everyone has to have that one thing in their life, that one thing that they choose to do that's super fucking hard, but they love it. Mm -hmm. And there's no end game to it. There's no point of destination. There's no, I'm reaching this, then I'm done with it. It's just something that you do for the rest of your life that you love, but it's really fucking hard. Yeah. Whether that's jujitsu, whether that's running six miles, whether that's doing Spartan races or Tough Mudders or rowing 2,000 meters a day or whatever it is. You have to have it mm -hmm. because you have to armor yourself for the rest of your life mm -hmm. because things will knock you down. There will be moments in your life where you feel like you don't know if you can get up, but you've done this thing, this hard thing so many times that's taught you that you can get up no matter what. And now life is, now you're in this real life situation where things are on the line and you're like, I don't know if I can get up. But then your brain kicks in, your body kicks in, your muscle memory kicks in. You're like, no, I fucking can get up. And that's what it is. And if you choose not to do anything like that, then life is going to be harder than it already will be regardless if you don't do the thing or not. Absolutely. It's like, well, that's it. That's, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you're raising your mental pain threshold, you mm -hmm. know, in every way. And like, I think the beauty of that being something physical and not just something mental that you do every day too is like, um, physicality and being on like the having that adrenaline you know that fight or flight kick in that um, clears your head 
And that's something that most people don't have throughout the day. And so if you have something where you're focused on physically evading a hard situation, then the mental comes along with it in other areas of your life, I feel like. And, you know, a lot of people don't have that opportunity and, you know, mental may be your only option. But I always tell people, like, I think everyone should get involved in some sort of physical activity that really pushes them, not just for obvious health reasons, right? But also for the mental fortitude that that provides. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100% agree. Full throttle. Yeah. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to transition here yeah. away from jujitsu into um, into something you've posted on, on social media quite a bit about the menstrual cycle and women training through the menstrual cycle. So obviously I don't know anything about this. So I would love to hear your, your expertise on this. I love to talk about this. Great. It's super important. It's so important. Like 50% of our population is females and nobody teaches us this. Not a single person, right? The extent of like the education that goes on in schools is like, Women get periods once a month. It's like, okay, cool. That's, that's really all it. they tell you? That's all That's that's all anybody's taught. And I like, I went to an all-girls high school, like one of the best in the country, and I was so blessed to go there. But even then, like, we didn't have any sort of education. And I'm not talking about sex ed. Sex ed is different. We need education on menstrual cycles for men and women because this affects everybody. Um, I think a great place to start is just the difference between men and women hormonally, right? Men uh, operate on a 24-hour hormonal cycle with testosterone. It's very simple. It's very predictable. It's it's beautiful. You know, rises with the sun, goes down with the night, rinse and repeat, right? Mm. The 40-hour work week is based on the male hormonal cycle. It just makes sense. It's very systematic. It's very um, straightforward. Every day can look the same. Um, if you look at the best productivity, you know, guides and the best guidelines for that, it's repeat the same thing every single day. Mm. And I think women have gotten very lost in this conversation. I don't know where this happened, but women run on a 28-day hormonal cycle. So we have fluctuations that look like that all month long. And so what that means is, I don't know if you've ever experienced like the feeling of low testosterone, but that's the feeling we have every single day, right? Like we don't wake up with like a vigor to go get like on, on a daily, I'm, I'm saying generalizing, right? right? Women don't have that same sort of like drive at the same parts of the day like men do. Hmm. Um, instead, you know, with um, the, when our period starts, that's day one of the menstrual cycle. Um, we have rising estrogen and uh, estrogen slowly rises until we get to the follicular phase when the bleeding ends. That's when we feel our best usually. And then ovulation happens. We get a tiny bump in testosterone. It feels amazing. You can ask any woman. They're like, for one week a month, I feel like I can do anything. I feel like I'm the baddest bitch out here. Like I can get anything done. I can, you know, I, I'm, I'm the most attractive person in the world. Like I can do anything. I'm super social, super energetic. And then you hit the luteal phase, which is where everything tanks. Mm. Uh, t- uh, testosterone tanks, estrogen tanks, and your progesterone climbs. Um, progesterone can lead to a lot of the PMS symptoms that a lot of people are familiar with, um, the you know, moodiness or the bloating or um, uh, you know, sadness, fatigue, things like that, especially fatigue. And then, you know, rinse and repeat, you start the whole process over again. And so literally every day looks different for a woman. Wow. Every day in the month looks completely different for a woman. And I think the biggest harm that we've done in not talking about this is to women. Because if you're anything like me, like I said, I'm very, I'm a very type A person, like perfectionist. On some day, like, and, and, you know, without getting too much information, I've had really bad PMDD recently, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is two weeks out of the month, that last two weeks of your cycle, 
you have like major, major like depression, major anxiety, major fatigue to the point where it's debilitating and you feel like you can't do anything. And you know, a lot of people learn to work around it and I have as well. And thankfully there are like, you know, a lot of natural ways to remedy that. Of course, getting your hormones checked, things like that. But it's really freaking hard when half, literally half of my life, I feel like shit. You know what I mean? And the other half, I'm great. Mm. But it's like, how do you balance that in your life? And so where this really got me, right, right, like, so going back a little bit, I think this is especially harmful to women who look, you know, compare on social media and, you know, want to do that it girl lifestyle and want to like be a girl boss or be super productive and this and that. And they're like, why do I feel like I literally can't move some days, right? Like, why do I feel like the laziest couch potato in the world? And I feel like, you know, you're, you sit there and you blame yourself and you're like, I'm a shit person because I can't do anything and I can't be consistent where you look at that hormone cycle, you're like, women are not designed to be consistent. We are literally not designed to be consistent. And I think that's one of the biggest disservices that this whole you know, um, Western perspective at work um, has done to women, that and the lack of you know, knowledge about it. Um, we haven't even had really good research about it, to be honest. And this is really what spurred me is when I was getting my master's, I, I got my master's in exercise physiology, right? So you think physiology should include women, right? Right. There was no women included in research studies until like 1990. And even then, research since then has been so limited. And the only extent that they'll include women is if they can control for menstrual cycle. So there hasn't, there's been very little research on the actual effect of the menstrual cycle on our brains and our bodies. And so now the research is starting to come out of how, just how much of a difference these hormones make on us. So that's just like, you know, day to day stuff that I've talked about so far. As you can imagine, a lot of it is impact. I mean, exercise, you know, like exercise is huge. Exercise has everything to do with your physiology. So your exercise is going to be heavily impacted by your hormones. And I didn't know anything about it because I wasn't taught anything about it after a degree in exercise physiology where we didn't even talk about hormones, the effects of, you know, female sex hormones. And I would compete some days and I'd be like, well, I've had three bangs and I still feel like I want to go to sleep. You know, like I'm hyped up on caffeine, but I can't move. And I just got crushed like the worst that I ever have in my entire life. And then next month I'll go to a tournament at a completely different time in my cycle. And I'll feel like amazing. And I, you know, I got silver in one of my tournaments. That was great. And then I started realizing that maybe there's a correlation between these things. And that's really what sent me on my rabbit hole. So since then, I've kind of made it my mission not only to um, bring this to people's attention, but to be a coach that females can come to to uh, be able to work with their menstrual cycle because it, it's 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 not something that I think women should like not talk about and you know be this like hush hush taboo thing like male and female coaches they're seriously um, doing everybody disservice when they're not educated on this yeah. because it when it's something that's so serious that it completely affects our entire lives how could you not consider it an exercise you know what right. i mean and that can completely change anybody's experience with exercise i truly believe that wow yeah have you looked into how um birth control affects this yeah birth control is female castration um i learned that from dr stephanie esteem i would highly recommend checking her out she has she's a chiropractor who devoted her life to um, or has now devoted her career to um, women's hormonal um, issues and, and everything with that. Um, and she made a really good point that was like, you know, if a woman, if a male were to walk into their doctor's office and say, I'm struggling with acne, would the doctor ever give him a testosterone blocker? 
literally never, right? Why would you want to do that, right? And a lot of people don't realize that, especially oral contraceptives, so like the birth control pill, it literally prevents ovulation. And ovulation is the entire basis for this cycle that happens on a monthly basis. Hmm. It is what all of our entire body is, is created to do is to, you know, ovulate so we can reproduce after a certain age. Right. And so when you prevent ovulation, you're throwing off all of these hormones in your body. And estrogen is really special because we actually have estrogen receptors in like every single organ in our body. It's not, it's not like a, you know, oh, it just affects your cycle. No, it affects your entire body. And so that's why you'll hear about women having these crazy symptoms when they're on the pill or off the pill. Yes. And, um, and to me, it's just ever since I've learned that it's been like, why are we giving women hormonal contraceptives? Why are we trying to give them synthetic hormones to alter the process of their body? And thankfully we have some like non-hormonal contraceptive options now but you know that's only very recently and think about how many lives have been affected by this and how many women have been put on oral contraceptives since a very young age god only knows what impact that had on their bodies because we don't have the research to back it the studies that are done to get it approved by the fda are very short term compared to like a lifetime right so that blows my mind it blows my mind that the medical community is still so okay with it yeah i i've uh, watched a few podcasts recently on one of my favorite podcasts called Modern Wisdom. And the guy, Chris, is the host, has brought on a few doctors who were studying this very thing, mm -hmm. women doctors who were studying how not good it is for women. Yeah. You know, obviously when it was created, it gave women more freedom, mm -hmm. right? That was the whole point. Right. Like, so now there's no risk of getting pregnant all of the time. Mm -hmm. You can go and do and live a life mm -hmm. or whatever you choose to do, mm -hmm. right? That, all that stuff is great. But we're now in 2023 where we have like very smart people who can figure out things that can be better for the woman's body mm -hmm. that don't screw them up hormonally for the rest of their life. Because some people I know got on these um, oral contraceptives when they were 14, 15, 16 yeah. and didn't get off until they were 28, 29, 30 years old. Mm -hmm. That's I don't know if I've ever taken anything for that long in my life. And anything, even if it's really good for you, has some effect. What's so? I mean, yeah. I can't imagine. So I'm, I'm glad that people are like actually doing the work now yeah. to figure it out, and more information is being presented to people and young girls and doctors that there can be a different option. Like I don't know what it is, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Yeah, and, and what kills me too is like coming out of the research community, I was honestly appalled at how lazy researchers are. Really? And that's the only reason we haven't included it in exercise physiology is because to have to control for like, say you're taking doing a study with 20 women, to have to control menstrual cycle for 20 women, it's a lot. And so just because of the sheer headache of it, which is very, you know, it's really sad, but just for that reason alone, researchers have you know struggled to include women and still struggle to do so and that really breaks my heart because it's like if they don't do who, who are we trusting to do this research and it's, i'm so glad you said you know there are people who are doing it because i know there are select few but um i'll still listen to that podcast because i'm so interested and i really want to support those people you know yeah i'll send you the link yeah. it's actually the it, the ladies from tcu oh cool yeah cool um I've been meaning to email her to try to get her on this podcast, yeah, which would be, be awesome. awesome. But she's done like after she did that podcast, she did like, because that's a pretty big podcast. Mm -hmm. She's done like a couple other big ones. Cool. So I don't know if she's too, too, too cool for, <laughs> yeah. for this up and coming show. No, no, um, she'd be 
But uh, just, yeah, I mean, I'll drive to TCU right now to have a yeah. conversation with her so I can learn. I would basically just ask her to teach me because yeah. Yeah. I want to learn more. So yeah. <clears throat> yeah really and, everyone, yeah. Anything else you want, you want to say about any of that stuff? I just, I, I think everybody should make it a priority to learn more men and women. Because, you know, most men have women in their lives. Yeah. And if you have a woman in your life, then it's worth understanding. Right. You know, a coach in any respect needs to understand that too. Any coach who's working with women. Um, you know, like, you know, I kind of wish I could tell you Carter some days like, Hey, my hormones are really awful. Like, please give me a break today. But you know, you can't because nobody knows about this stuff. So I'm just, I'm so glad we're talking about it. And I really hope, you know, it helps to raise awareness of some people, you know, some people may never had a conversation about it. Um, you know, just educate yourself as best you can, you know, that's all we all, any of us can do. And it can make a huge difference when you expect it the least. Yeah. Because for like a young, a young woman, this could impact the way she views herself, right? And how she feels about her body and how she feels about herself and all of the other emotions that she's feeling with being just a young person in this world, which yeah. is like, how do I make friends? Do people like me? Mm-hmm. My body is disgusting. Like all of these things, you know? And then, so obviously hormones play a deep role in that. And, Definitely. and so if there can be a little bit more education about it, that it's not like, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you, you are not like, there's nothing wrong with you. You just have something happening in your body that you have to sort of learn more about, adjust to, um, and figure out how to deal with it when it comes on. Yeah. Like that's, that's much more, that's much better conversation to have than like trying to tell someone that they like have an issue or they need to be put in a label or they have this box that they have to fit into and they have to take a bunch of medication to fix it. It's like, yeah, maybe that stuff might be true, whatever. But at least an initial test could be this conversation. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know for sure, but I think that might be better. I totally agree. I, I wish more healthcare practitioners would talk about it because unfortunately these days, like you said, you go to a gyno, you tell them your issues, they say you have PMDD here, take an antidepressant. And antidepressants don't work like that. They don't work for two weeks at a time. They are long-term, you know, uh, you know, serotonin, what is it, selective serotonin. Yeah, and they also have a ton of downstream effects too for your body and how you react and how your emotions feel and, you know, exactly. things they're inhibiting as well. Like, I, I, I know that those sorts of mental health uh, medications work really well for a lot of people, but medication cannot be the first step. Yeah, totally agree. Why aren't we getting our hormones checked? Why isn't that the first step for mm. women? You know, why why do we have to pay out of like like through the nose even with insurance to get our hormones checked? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, that should be regular data that you that you exactly. can able to see because it's your it's you. It's, this is what's happening inside of your body. Exactly. Yeah. I'm. I'm. You know, go see a functional medicine doctor. You know, if you can, because it'll make a world of a difference. But. That's really that. Just okay. more people need to know. We need to, you know, raise awareness. More science needs to be done. Yeah. So. All right. We got one more topic yeah. for this evening. Let's go. Are you feeling good? It's 8.30. Yeah. yeah, let's go. You want some water now? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I didn't drink out of this, so. Oh, thank you. There you go. So sweet. So now you can drink now. Okay, yeah. Get you hydrated. Because so I feel like you're going to keep... Yeah, you have a lot to say on this next oh, subject. Gosh. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, so, dating... <laughs> Dating in 2023. I know at one point um, you had a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Are you still, do you still have a boyfriend? Yes, we got back together. Great. Yeah. Lovely. Um, what are your just initial top level thoughts on dating in the modern world? What a nightmare. 
I've got a really interesting like love life because I um, I was with the same guy from when I was 15 years old. We were high school sweethearts. We went to college together until I was 21. Um, and you know, great guy. We just we really grew apart and grew. You're what 24 people. right now? Yes. Yeah, so it was three years ago, right before, or right during, actually we broke up during the pandemic. Um, but, you know, that, and then I met my current boyfriend. And so I've really only been in like, well, I, I had like one relationship in between, but like I've mostly been in like long-term committed relationships. Um, and I've been very lucky that I haven't had to date because, oh my God, the couple times that I did get on like a dating app. That stuff's awful. Like, I just, I don't understand my generation's approach with dating. I really don't. Like, it's all hookup culture these days. That's, mm. that's all it is anymore. And, and it used to be more like, I feel like, you know, of course you expect that more from, from men because I feel like, you know, obviously men's brains work differently, different perspective towards, you know, hooking up and stuff like that. But, like, women are like that now too. I don't get it. You know, and, and this may be very controversial, but I'm not afraid to speak my mind on it. And I will speak it to whoever will listen. But I feel like we've just gone so far away from this idea of, of partnership and, you know, love in relationships. And we've gone over to who can screw the other person over better. Mm. Um, so many people have gotten hurt and, you know, hurt people hurt people. And it's just become this vicious cycle of, you know, girls wanting to be city girls and wanting to get out there as much as they can. And um you know use men for their money and and walk away and men are like well if women are going to be like that then screw them we're going to do the same thing back to them and it's just this vicious cycle back and forth and back and forth um and i really think a lot of it um i think it you know i've listened to a lot of interesting podcasts and i'd love to pick your mind about the masculinity crisis mm. because i think the strongest wave of feminism and the most modern wave of feminism has definitely led to a mask from what I've heard from talking to men in my life, um, has led to a masculinity crisis from even talking to my own father who said, I didn't even know if I was supposed to propose to your mother because feminism, right? Like we're equal. Right. And I think it comes from this place of, and I was, I went to a high school where I went to all girls high school, super feminist. Right. And Nothing wrong with feminism in the sense of equality, or I should say equity, but I think that's where the, the mix-up comes from, right? We've gone from this idea of women having equity in society and having equal opportunity to um, live as a person and to um, you know, live their best life. We've gone from that to, oh, a woman should be able to do everything a man can do. And the one thing that changed my mind about this, right, coming from a very feminist high school was studying physiology and realizing men and women are not the same. They will never be the same. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, I know you, you had a podcast about, um, the trans athletes in sport. Sure did. A lot of it, you know, comes down to the same issues. It's like, no matter how you look at it, um, the difference between men and women is so much more than testosterone versus lack of testosterone. The whole way that, uh, a male and female's bodies and brains are developed are entirely different. Understanding that men think differently than women think, I think is the very first step. Not only do I think women should not be doing everything a man can do just because and vice versa, right? In that whole debacle, I think there's a lot of internalized misogyny amongst women in hating their own femininity, right? Like, I think women have been brought up to think, you know, if we don't operate like a man, we're lesser and mm. we're seen as lesser. Whereas every man I've talked to has said, no, like I value you as a woman because you're a woman, right? right? Because of the things you can, I can't make a baby 
right? Like it's fucking incredible, right? Like it, it is incredible. It's so beautiful. It's a fucking miracle. It's so beautiful, <laughs> and and the perspective these days, you know, whether it's um, subliminal or not, is like, well, is that all I'm good for? Like I can do more than that, and and I just think that's such a shame. I think we've lost lost touch with what we really want deep down, right? If you ask like most women, I, I honestly don't know a single woman who would say like, I don't want, you know, the door open for me or my dinner paid for or to be taken care of or my man to get me something off a high shelf and lift heavy things for me, right? Like, and all of that I think is rooted in like a very positive, you know, masculine personality and, and lifestyle for men, right? But when women are trying so hard to take this masculine role over it leaves no space for men to have that role anymore mm -hmm. and it's it's just a vicious cycle that continues and the women are like why aren't you planning dates why aren't you taking initiative why aren't you and turn into this nagging mothering situation and it's further emasculating and the cycle just continues and so i really think that the root of our dating issues as a society come from that from this lack of polarity between men and women and of course i'm speaking to you know heterosexual relationships but um i think that's the majority so that's what i'll speak to that's what i've experienced with um and so i think you know first thing understanding that men and women are completely different we think different and i think that if we allowed space for polarity back into our relationships a lot of the issues that we all face um, would dissolve. And that's what I've personally experienced in my life too. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's become a, a zero sum game. Like if, if you win, that means I can't win. So that means I have to throw you down so that I can win. Instead of a additive combination where two people elevate each other together. Because, right, <clears throat> Women, as you said, have gained equal opportunity in the basically the the basic rights that they deserve mm -hmm. and over the last 50 years. But now there's been like this over rotation, this over correction in this sort of girl boss era thing where now there's a lot of sexual promiscuity and that hasn't made it better. Because if you think about it, if the girl woman is willing to have sex with anyone because she wants to just have more sex and be like a dude. And the guy who lives in his basement with his mom gets to have sex with you. Is he going to put in any more effort to become a better man? No, because he already got the thing that he wanted to get. Mm -hmm. So if you elevate your standards and create this person that you think you are without having to try and be more like a man and want to get a high value man, then those things are additive and they, they, they combine to create a good relationship. Totally. Um, and also the, the, the biggest problem is the idea that men have created this oppressive patriarchy superstructure that is misogynistic and that everyone that's ever been involved with a man is oppressed and shit and we've created this society that's totally fucked and everyone that's that we're involved with is, is, is everything's fucked because we've created this oppressive superstructure patriarchy thing like that's what young boys are listening to so they either have two choices to make one they believe that and they become these weak, docile little humans who can't protect you from anything and are afraid of their own shadow. And now when the world is set on fire and inevitably there's something that happens that goes on, there's a war, there's a fire in your house, someone tries to break in, they're not there because they are weak because we have 
conditioned them to be that way. Mm-hmm. Or they take this opposite end, which is like the sort, I don't like to use the word toxic masculinity because it doesn't go with masculinity. Mm-hmm. It's just like some other person over here who's taken the extreme. Like this is an extreme version and now he's taken the other extreme where it's like, I'm an egotistical maniac, everything should go my way, I'm the boss of everything and everyone should just bow down to me. You don't want that person either, but there's only two paths because you haven't created a middle path for the young man. So if you don't like the role models that are now presented for young men, which are like the Jordan Petersons, the Tim Ferrisses, the Jockos, Andrew Tate is a role model, whether you like it or not. He has a large following and a lot of young boys listen to him. If you don't like those role models that are presented for young men, then then build more, create more role models that you wish to be for young boys so that they can choose this middle path, which is sort of toggling between both of these fine lines. Like at some points in my life, I'll have to be soft and kind and gentle because, and I need to ask for help. That's great. But at some points in my life, I need to be tough. I need to strap my fucking boots up. I need to get shit done. I need to protect my family or I need to be strong for my family. Not to say there's not a moment where I can't cry and break down, but there's certain points in our life for both of those things. And that's what we have to be teaching the strong man. But if the boy only hears that he's part of an oppressive superstructure patriarchy that's created the worst world we've ever had in history, even though we live in the best society we've ever lived in that's ever existed in the whole world, then what do you think he's gonna do? And so then why would he wanna be with a woman? That woman already thinks he's an oppressor. He's never even met her yet. He's never done anything. Why would he ask her on a date? What if she's gonna, what? no, don't, don't talk to me, you're, you're a man. Like this is the society we've created. Not everyone doesn't believe this way, but a majority of, not a majority, but a minority speak very loudly through these channels about how people should act and respond to these sorts of situations. And, it's very detrimental and there's a crisis. There's a mating crisis. There's more sexless males than there's ever been in the whole world. And I know oh, whatever men shouldn't be having as much, but that's a problem. That's a, that means they're not going out and pursuing women. That means they're not going out and pursuing things. Like most of the time men start working out because they want to look better for girls. That's a motivating factor to get them out of the house and start doing things and learning more and educating themselves, learning how to speak and dress and work out. All of these things have long-term effects because eventually we wear out of that stuff and we're like, I just wanna do it because I like it now. Originally, my motivator was to get more girls, but there's, a, there's an extension of all of these things. And now becoming a capable, confident young man whose ability to produce and do things in the world is substantial, not just sitting on the couch on OnlyFans, jerking off, like, because it's fine. Like who, who, how is that good for anyone? Yeah. And so the dating market reflects that because guys are scared to talk to girls because they don't know what's gonna happen, what's gonna come of it because they're oppressors and women are um, more promiscuous than they've ever been, but they're usually using it for sort of OnlyFans type reasons. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they're looking for like this high value man who only exists for like 1% of the population. And then girls aren't thinking about, they're only thinking about what the man can offer them, not what, what values they can offer to a man. So they're not building themselves up in that way either. And the man isn't either. So we're not meeting at the peak. We're at this meeting in the muck down here. And we're just fighting with each other the whole time instead of being like, we can be elevated together. And so that's what I believe in like a very small nutshell. That 
like you literally put all my ideas together. <laughs> that's like literally perfect. And like I don't know, a little bit more on the female perspective. Like I just think it's it's so wild that like you said, the women are like naturally we're nurturers. Like women are nurturers. Like me, I don't know about like other women, but me out of the womb, I was like, what can I do for you? Like how can I, like what can I give to you? I've always been that way with my partners. That's what I love to do. But you know, you hear so many women are like oh, don't do this and do that until this and that. It's just become a game, mm-hmm. right? Like dating's just become this game for, for women and men and women especially because women know that men have something. Women have something men want, right? And they're like, oh, instead of actually, you know, seeing what I want in my life and actually trying to pursue that and find somebody who, you know, matches what I want and being genuine with them, I'm going to play games with my sexuality with them because I know they're going to fall head over heels for it. And that's all that's going to matter. And it's like, okay, what do you expect to be the end result when that's the game that you're playing, right? Um, it, it just, it doesn't make sense to me anymore. It really doesn't. And, and I don't even know, it, I've only heard this conversation happen in very small circles. I don't know about you, but I just don't know what the solution is. I don't know how to get this out to more people. I don't know how to find people who are willing to listen, right? Like so many of my friends aren't even willing to, you know, think about the fact that men and women think differently because the, the, I feel like the feminism, um, what the the feminism narrative right now right is you know everybody's equal everybody should be equal men and women are the same well that's just inherently not true um and i just i look back and i'm like how did we get here as a society right it's just a pendulum swinging the pendulum swung too far to you know at the time when women were actually you know unable to have a bank account unable to get a mortgage unable to go to school right swung from that extreme to now the extreme of nobody knows what the heck is going on. Mm-hmm. You know, men are being emasculated left and right. Women don't care. Women won't stop to listen. Women won't stop to give consideration to the fact that maybe now they're the oppressors, right? Because this narrative that's been fed to us. And, and you know, it's just gone so far off of what it was supposed to be. And that, that really breaks my heart. Um, I'm very lucky to be with a partner who, you know, agrees with that. And we talk about this all the time, but... You know, so few people are having this discussion, and and I'm I'm convinced that ninety five percent of relationship issues come from this. Yeah, yeah. People have to have a discussion about this, and it's yeah. so funny to think about masculinity when people are like, the the masculine man is the problem, and that's the opposite. Mm-hmm. You should be way more afraid of the weak man, because the weak man is the one that sits in his basement at home resentful and bitter and planning shit. He's like, they fucked me over. I'm this man, I'm bitter, I'm resentful. I have nothing to do and nothing to live for and I'm gonna go fuck shit up. Instead of empowering men to be masculine in their masculine energy, mixed with some feminine energy, that's where the strongest men are, but in their masculine energy, like becoming the most dangerous men they can be, while choosing to have it under voluntary control. That is what you want. If you're afraid of that man, you should be deeply afraid of the other side of the coin where it's the weak man who's bitter and resentful and doesn't have anything under voluntary control and is willing to do whatever it takes to get whatever sort of revenge he thinks is possible. Do you want this man? You want the competent, confident, dangerous, not in a violent sense, but capable of violence if necessary, 
because sometimes it is necessary to protect the ones you love the most. Don't be too naive to think that that's never going to happen to you or you're never going to be put in that sort of situation. God willing, I hope you never are. But maybe you're with someone who's willing to protect you or has the, 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 the chutzpah to protect you but then has it under voluntary control. So when you guys are hanging out or on the couch or at dinner, he's just relaxed, chill and calm. And he tells you how he feels and what he wants because he's learned to trust you on an emotional state. A lot of guys don't want to be vulnerable with women because they have this perceived notion that women will view them differently because of that. And a lot of women do. I've heard a lot of women say, if my man cries in front of me, he's no longer tough masculine man to me anymore. And I don't find him physically attractive and the sex goes out the window. Well, how does that make us feel? That means we have to bottle everything in all of the time, no matter what, but we also can't be tough and dominant. We have to bottle everything in. We can't ask for help. And there's so many different things we're playing at here. And everyone just thinks we have this like normal, easygoing, everything that comes to us. We're fine. We're men. It's all good. We have lots of struggles, just like I know women have tons of struggles now, especially in today's society where everything is up in the air. You don't know gender roles. You don't know what from what. You don't know what you should do or how you should go about or if this or that, right? But the man... It, it, like we want to be able to express our vulnerabilities to you. We want to be able to show that side to you, but we have to know when you hold that stuff in your hand, that you're not going to step on it and pour it in our fucking face. They're going to see us still as this masculine man who has the display of feminine energy because he trusts you Yeah. because he trusts you. And if you can build that relationship on trust and on cooperation and on negotiation and on a partnership, there's no more fruitful relationship you can ever have in your life, except maybe if you have a kid. I haven't had a kid yet, but that's what people tell me. But right now, my current relationship is the most fruitful relationship I've ever had in my whole life because we have that. Not to say that we have a perfect relationship. That doesn't fucking exist. But at least we have a negotiation. We have cooperation. We have mutual respect for one another and we can get through these sorts of situations. So you have to start viewing those things in a more complex, nuanced way than he's a man, he does this, she's a female, she does this. Yes, there's some roles and some ingrained things that we're born to do evolutionarily, that that's what our nature is and we have to respect those things. We have to respect reality, what's true, what we've, what our genes are, all of that stuff. We also have to understand that there's, there's a nuance to it. And when you build a relationship, you can grow those complexities and those nuances. Um, but if you just say men are all shit and all they've done is shit, then that's what they're gonna think and that's what society's gonna be built to. We're gonna have a weak society and that's what's gonna be. And is that what you want? I don't think so. If you really, really, really think about it, if you actually think about it, instead of just being conditioned to think about what you're being told to think, instead of actually thinking about what is correct for you and be willing to pay the consequences of saying that or acting that out or doing that thing, then I think you're going to come to the same conclusion that we come to right now. Man, you took the words right out of my mouth. That's so. absolutely perfect. And you know, the challenge with that is that what this requires is for both parties to be able to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And nobody's willing to be vulnerable anymore. Not a single person is willing to take the first step, right? Women aren't willing to take the first step back and step into their feminine and be like, I'm gonna give you the opportunity for you to take the lead, for you to take the initiative. I'm gonna trust you enough 
to let you do that because women want to control everything and they want to, you know, have everything go their way. And, oh, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why was my proposal like this? Why wasn't, well, like, are you going to let him lead or are you just going to dictate everything? Because if you're with a man you can't trust to lead, why are you with a man at all? Mm. You know what I mean? And then vice versa, like you said, right? Like so many men, it's so sad to hear, I've been scarred by hearing women who don't want to be with men who, you know, display feminine capability or feminine uh, energy, you know, that knowledge of their emotions and awareness of their emotions and crying and and expression that's a fundamental human necessity right Mm -hmm. and you hear so many stories of uh, of all of these things happening and it's just it's so heartbreaking right and and it's like you know you have to i think women honestly like from my perspective i think women you know i think we've we've started this this recent issue that we have right this is not to speak to the entire um, you know, feminism wave or anything like that, but but at least modern feminism, I think, is very much to blame for what's happening. And I think women need to take accountability. We need to take responsibility. Take be willing to take a step back because if we want the kind of men that we describe, like that we want, exactly like you said, right? I couldn't have said it better than you did. Then we need to provide space for that. And mm. right now, women are taking up that space. They're just sitting there. They're occupying those seats, and they're like, "Why aren't you sitting here? Why am I sitting here instead?" Well. The seat wasn't empty in the first place. How do you expect somebody to rise to the occasion when the occasion doesn't exist, mm. right? And that requires vulnerability. That requires um, me being willing to say like, hey, this might go south, but like that's something I'm willing to do to see if this relationship is going to work out and be the relationship that I want to have. And like you said, I've also experienced the same thing. It's only in that, um, that experience of polarity in a relationship where I've had you know, the deepest and most fulfilling relationship of my life with my partner. And we've both been able to share so many ideas and thoughts and have conversations like these that I've never been able to have with anybody before. And the effect that that has had on both of us and understanding the opposite gender have been so much more profound than any conversation I ever had about feminism. And, and that's the truth of it. Because nobody ever told me, hey, maybe you should sit down and listen to a male's perspective, right? Like, no, what I was taught is men have it so easy and we have it so hard. And how dare you say that you have it, you don't have it easy and that there's a masculinity crisis. What are you talking about? The world is built for you. No, like take a step back. Like that's not how this stuff works. And it's only through those deep conversations a lot of times that we can only have with our partner that really can help us teach us, teach those, teach us those things. So I'm very grateful um for that experience but i really hope that's something more people can have i think we're both very very blessed to be in relationships like that 100 percent. yeah yeah i mean i i'm i'm listening and trying to have more of these conversations Mm -hmm. on this podcast and the one i told you about before chris on modern wisdom he he talks about this a ton Mm -hmm. so i you should watch that one but but eventually we'll get that dating round table together because i want i want different perspectives with people who are at different parts of their lives and, and where people feel they are at. And so hopefully we can get that round table sorted out because, because you're definitely coming on for round two. I'm excited. So you, you crushed this one. Oh, thank you. You crushed it. Okay. I have one more question for you. Final question of the evening. If you were going to put up a billboard and millions of people were going to see that billboard every single day, what would you put on it? This question is stolen from podcaster Tim Ferriss, by the way, didn't come up with it. I might need a minute. Okay. I'm really torn. Mm. Can I tell you what I'm torn between? Yeah, please. Menstrual cycle stuff and the dating stuff. Because I think they're both so important and they both go hand in hand, right? Like, yeah. I think at the end of the day, 
it comes down to for, for I can only speak to my experience as a woman, but I think women need to reevaluate their their mentality, right? Like with everything, whether that's trying to trying to be physically more like a man and in that running into all of these issues with their hormones, trying to tell them, no, that's not you. Right. Or socially with all these men who aren't who you want to be dating yet. That's who you're attracting. Right. How do I put that in a billboard? You put something like, um, let's talk about your menstrual cycle and then a QR code underneath. I like that. That's what I would do. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Or let's talk about femininity. Yeah. I would like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's my final answer. Perfect. Yeah. Throw it on a billboard. Yeah. Throw it on a billboard. At the end of uh, this episode, this is episode 150, by the way, this is a pretty oh, special wow. episode. I'm so honored. So at one point when I have all of the money in the whole world, <laughs> I'll put up 150 billboards. Oh, that's but, beautiful. I, but I guess when I have all of the money, it might be episode like 600. <laughs> so I might have 600, billboards. 600 billboards. You have every billboard in North America. But it'll be a lot of really cool sayings yeah. and a lot of very informative information from very wise people who've been on this What's podcast. Your favorite one so far? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> um, my favorite is, is probably um, mine which is you are loved Aww. or uh, I like um, elite by choice, not by chance. I like that. That was a good one. Lauren Johnson was her name who came up with that. She's a mental performance coach. Um, and I like yours because it's a very interesting topic and it's very fresh in my brain. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I'm also sitting right here. Yeah. So that helps. Right? <laughs> uh, but I also think it's very, very important. Super important. Yeah. Cause most people have said like cool phrases, like be inspired is another one. But you want to be informative, yeah. which I think is important. Yeah, yeah. A conversation that would change so many lives. I think. So many. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. This is I'm excellent. So, I've been so honored to be here, and it's so wonderful to sit here with you. So thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, round two and dating roundtable coming yeah. up. Can't wait. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. See you guys. Yeah. yeah. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Sahar. She's brilliant, and I'm super glad to know her, to have her on the podcast, and to learn from her insights and expertise. What was your, what was your biggest takeaway from the episode? What's one piece of wisdom that resonated with you deeply that you're going to apply into your life right now so you can continue to inch closer to that best version of you. And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to drop us a rating or a review on Spotify or Apple. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Aaron Mashbits directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. So click the link in the show notes and select which tier might work best for you. Thank you. But most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and each other, and I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.